Life in Colour is a brand new show that will discuss current affairs from a different perspective that you probably don't hear about often enough. Our show will be amplifying the voices of minorities around the world in a global conversation about the most important issues that face us today. We'll be chatting about ideas of racism, sexism, imperialism, nationalism, white privilege, all in the context of current affairs in Australia and beyond. Hi, you're listening to Life in Colour with me, Nicole, Sherry Rose, Leanne, and we have a guest today, and his name is... Harush. Hi, Harush. <laughs> Welcome, Harush. <Yeah. laughs> Welcome. Now, today, we're going to talk about the colour of criminality and the Panama Papers. We're starting off by talking about the Panama Papers. So at the beginning of April, over 11 million documents re- were released by a Panama-based law firm called Mossack Fonesca to a German newspaper that then shared the information with the ICIJ, which includes over uh, 108 jurn- journal Jur- <laughs> investigative journalists, <laughs> investigative journalists in seven eight countries around the world. So the ICIJ stands for the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, and they released these documents about how a number of the world's wealthiest and most powerful people have been avoiding paying taxes and storing their money in tax havens, amongst other things, including tax evasion, arms deals, and general financial fraud. On May the 9th, they will be publishing more papers, a larger release of information, the Panama Papers dump, it's been called, about offshore companies and the people behind them. So we're talking about over 200,000 companies, trusts and foundations and the people who have been implicated and who are behind all of this. So it's we're bringing this topic because we are talking about the criminality of race today. And typically, some of the people who have been implicated in these affairs are white men in suits but often what we see as crime and what can be talked about as race and crime does not that's not the typical image that we're given so some of the people who have been implicated since the panama papers were released have included heads of states and leaders of large multinational corporations, public figures, trusted figures, including the now former Prime Minister of Iceland, who has since stepped down after the release of these papers. What are your thoughts on this, what seems to be, I guess, some legal, some illegal tax evasion, millions and millions and millions of dollars in assets that has been taken out of countries and just not paid through these loopholes and how it is that this, unlike other things that have been investigated in terms of crimes and war, have not been implicated or have not been shown until now. Um, I think it's interesting how people are generally kind of against like stealing, robbery. You know, we get outraged when like someone steals from like a convenience store. Mm. But when you have like corporations um, essentially stealing, I, I think in the video they talked about stealing or tax invading more money than entire Ghana's like um, annual health budget, absolutely. there isn't that sam- same outrage? Yeah, absolutely. But- I think it's also important to understand that 
what this this is it's theft that's occurring because the money that is being evaded in tax and we're not talking like a few thousands of dollars here and there we're talking about millions and millions of dollars that could otherwise be invested in healthcare education um public infrastructure that is being stolen essentially through these legal quote unquote l- loopholes um and that has far worse implications Definitely. than perhaps a small robbery yeah. that <laughs> occurs in your neighborhood because we're talking so many people that are impacted by this. And I think that like be it's precisely because of that what reason why people aren't as emotionally impacted by it because the crime is kind of diffused over like all the people mm. that it is afflicting as opposed to like a localized single event that you can you know, look at and completely take in. Um, and because of that, even though it's much, much worse because it's, like, something that has pretty much robbed um, heaps of people in society, mm. it is just really imperceptible and more abstract and wrapped up in paperwork. So. Absolutely. So, essentially, we are challenging the notion that crime is only, or major crimes and are committed by males, dominantly males, predominantly um, it's perceived that they are males of color. But this is showing us that the majority of crimes, and um, we've looked at some information around the world, are committed by some of the wealthiest and most intelligent people. And these are not minor crimes in comparison to your local robbery. This Mm. is a major crime that has significant implications, but because of how we've deemed society to look at crime and race it's almost it's a it's seen as a significant shock um which it which is sad because it's come out in this such a big way so many people are outraged because it's almost like (coughs) oh we didn't think that these people did that it's like well would you have been as shocked if you found out that it was a governor you know in a Mm. state in africa for example it would just be talked about as corruption (laughs) but you know it's been given the name panama papers when to a degree there is some elements of corruption and you know money laundering happening here again that's what we're talking about in relation to this the racial element racial element yeah and with like um the corporations that are kind of they're not only tax evading Mm. and stealing money but a lot Mm. of the business like the arms, mm. um, kind of like environmental pollution, Absolutely. what they're doing, like the way they're actually profiting and making money is mm. also quite criminal. Yeah. And that kind of stuff isn't, yeah, has a greater harm to the public, but isn't viewed as, your, you know, your daytime robbery. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the general talk, we just wanted to, want to bring that in because that's a current affair issue you know it's not something that you sit and you think about oh my god these panama papers yeah. people are robbing me of yeah <laughs> um, millions of dollars oh, millions yeah. of dollars yeah. do you know what i mean because yeah. like you said it's not a personal effect no. on you it's kind of just oh the idea that perhaps because they are wealthy and rich and they have the scope to do that mm. they can get away Wait, with it the- in this sense but well they're Activities are just as illegal, if not more so, than yeah. someone else. Yeah, so besides Panama Papers, we're yeah. going to talk about racial profiling yeah. today. And um, Leanne, what are you going to say about that? Um, so part of the kind of color criminality is that 
we have this perception that yeah, who is a criminal mm. and this kind of can manifest a lot in um, racial profiling which is when people are targeted not based on evidence or what they've committed but their perception of what they will crime um, what they will commit which is often yeah based on their skin color mm. and this could happen you know on the streets at the airports yeah. it violates human rights and it's also proven to be an ineffective policing method because it's based on stereotypes mm-hmm. and prejudice um i mean there was that recent case where a woman um she's she's confessed she's since confessed to killing her own toddler right. and she blamed um a what, black man yeah she said a specific nationality as well yeah of, and it was a very like bizarre case where she was like oh it was this you know a person from this african country True. and he wasn't wearing shoes yeah and like I, th- I think that that's that type of kind of um, event is very telling of the general psychology oh, and like the general yeah. ideas that fill people's minds where if they do something messed up then yeah. they can just blame this what? archetype of crime, crime. Um, and people will take it seriously um can you tell us a bit more about your experiences all oh, right um well particularly growing up i fit the profile of someone who would you know be a crime committer racially. for those of you who can't see him, yeah. do you want to describe do you want to describe do you want to describe um, yourself in, in, in two words um tall and brown and, uh, and as such well even as as I grew up, and you know, I have I have a bit of facial hair on my shoulders. I'm a bit bedraggled. Tall, dark heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, because of that, as soon as I got to a particular age, I noticed that police officers in train stations would treat me differently. They would talk to me differently, and you know, if if I was doing anything that was marginally out of line, they would pull me aside and say, hey, mate, what are you doing? How are you going? How's your day been? And they weren't particularly interested in how I, my day had gone, what I'd had for lunch or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they were kind of giving me a very passive-aggressive threat. And that went on to the point where I... There's one particular event where I was you know, not doing the right thing. I was drinking a beer on a public transport. Like, morally, that's not necessarily right or wrong. <laughs> but, you know, we're not legally allowed to do that. And there were two other white people with me, and I got out of the train with this can of beer, and the police officers immediately pulled me aside. The train was stopped for two minutes and started <laughs> questioning me, asking me if I was on drugs, asking me if I had a criminal record... Wow. Um, and then telling me that they were going to have to detain me if I didn't provide my details. Oh, dear. Um, and the other two blokes were kind of just sitting there sheepishly on the train and, like, you know, mm. it wasn't their fault, but they yeah, yeah. just left. Yeah. And I kind of had to, like, just get into this whole debacle uh-huh. with, like, exchanging my details. Um, and they didn't have any evidence that you'd committed any crime of any sort or... Well, yeah, but beyond, like, having an mm-hmm. open liquor container, they didn't really... They could have just taken my details yeah. down yeah. and, like, said, mate, go on your way, but they kind of, like, kept yeah. me there. Yeah. So, so I've had a female you. white friend who was drinking and they just gave her a fine. That's pretty standard practice. You don't then ask them, have you been taking drugs? Do you yeah. have a criminal record? And I, I don't think... Making presumptions about... My, yeah, I wasn't slowing my speech or yeah. stumbling about or anything. I was, I think, you know, being quite straightforward Straight with forward. them. And <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that they often treat you differently from your, your white 
counterpart. Yeah, yeah. There was an instance, um, another one, where <laughs> I was sitting on the steps of Flinders Ring Station. Yeah. Again, not doing something that I was, you know, I was doing something I wasn't really supposed to be doing. I was smoking a cigarette. Yeah. And I was sitting next to, um, you know, our, our friends, you know, James and Jeannie, yeah. who are both white. And I was chatting to them. And immediately, three PSOs came out of nowhere, said, hey, mate, come here, come over here. You're not supposed to be smoking. What are you doing here? Um, uh, would you, like, I'm going to take all your details sure. down. Do you have any priors? What, what's going on? And then I think that they assumed that I was just some strange um, brown person who was harassing these two white people. Aww. And they didn't realise that... I actually knew these people. I was close friends with them. And then my friends came over and said, no, just leave them alone. Yeah. Like, we're going to be late for our train. Just yeah. let them go. Yeah. Just piss off. Yeah. And the PSO is kind of like, as these people came in, it was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, you can go. Like, obviously, because two white people, people yeah. said that you're a legitimate <laughs> person. <laughs> you got the... <laughs> like, That's so... Well, relating to that, there was also a famous court case in 2013 by Daniel Hale Michael. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we'll be lucky to have him join us in a few minutes. But going back quickly to the to the incidents you were talking about, about the lady who described um, someone as having snatched her baby and was later to oh, have found yeah. to be to have ha- to have been the one who actually Sweet. murdered her, her child. I was reading an article um, and this was released by Andrew Bolt on March <laughs> the 19th. And the <laughs> title is called Tell the Truth on Ethnic Crime. In it, he does say the description that she gave. So the description was, the man is described as about 30 years old, 190 centimetres dark complexion, very white <laughs> teeth, and short, curly, black hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I think for a lot of people, that puts an image immediately yeah. in their minds. Mm. Even if she hadn't later on gone to say that it was an African man yeah. she was alluding to yeah. with no shoes from a particular <laughs> ethnic group. No shoes. <laughs> she hasn't mentioned that no yeah, shoes. But no what, shoes. I, what I wanted to point out, what I found disturbing about this um, this article okay. that was written is that it it goes to do that fear inciting yeah. uh, inciting fear in people and propagating racial stereotypes and it's and um, Andrew Ball says more seriously the force is covering up a serious problem of ethnic crime <laughs> right. and. <laughs> Essentially, what he's doing is rebutting um, what the police were trying to do is trying to be more diplomatic in the way they just if someone interviews them about say not trying to point out a particular racial group, you know, or point out a particular group of people and, you know, um, vindicate (laughs) or criminalize them and kind of just say, well, this is a general description. Like, you know, if someone else, if anybody else committed the robbery, they would say, oh, the suspect is yeah. a tall Caucasian, Caucasian male. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of thing. Instead of saying, okay, it's good that you didn't try and completely yeah. vindicate one, you know, yeah. one group of people. But no, you should tell us the truth about mm-hmm. all these ethnic <laughs> people I, I, I that are like, causing crime. Yeah, it's, it's like so peculiar that calling someone... African now has become a dirty word, whereas as opposed to like calling someone Caucasian, it's just you know straight up describing their race, it's their physical description. But right now, like I think there's like an insidious kind of like roundabout, tangled up way 
sort of like further engendering this idea that even like mentioning the word that is mm-hmm. actually someone's race yeah. is like, oh, African, don't say that. And the thing is, with the whole um, Andrew Bowen incident, is like his presumption is that ethnic people are committing more crime. Mm. But actually, this University of Melbourne professor George Gordon, he did a study about young Africans in the area of Flemington and Kensington, mm. and they were 2.5 times more likely to be arbitrarily stopped and searched but they were significantly less likely to commit a crime. Oh, wow. So the perception and like the kind of like contact that someone has with police doesn't actually correlate to how much crime is actually yeah. being committed. So it's also a question like where people like it's also not actually making our community safe. Mm-hmm. Like now nowadays, speaking, um, just as like a, a from my from my own point of view. Uh, whenever I'm around police officers, I'll make a point to not make eye contact Definitely. with them, to stand up a bit straighter, to make sure I look like. I'm, you know, a presentable person who isn't going to do anything wrong, who isn't going to step out of line, yeah. just so I don't get that. Get like, that yeah. Simply know, because you have the feeling that they're paying more, more attention, attention to you. Yeah. And in reverse, if you are white, you know that police don't pay attention yeah. to you and you could get away with more. And that's what I think. Like, there's so many, like, so, so many of my, my white friends, like, who will actively, like, antagonise police officers and they just the police officers kind of like shrug at them and say oh you're a stupid <laughs> kid whereas I've seen you know my friends who are not white do it mm. and the police officers like if if they you know had the chance to they probably would just like cuff them and like smash their heads into concrete like yeah. you see them like with those looks in their eyes Absolutely. And, like, it's kind of uh, like oh my goodness you're not you know some yeah. silly young kid, kid. Mm. you are a dangerous yeah. you know yeah. like brown skin yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're a dangerous brown skin person, yeah. which is completely, you know, <laughs> dangerous. Which, yeah, which is completely sad that we have these perceptions. But again, we're going to be talking to Daniel Helm Michael, the lead African in the case in 2013 against Victoria Police and the state and the Victorian state yep. in the racial profiling case. So we're yep. going to delve into this a little bit deeper. Hi, Daniel, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Awesome, great. Um, thank you again for joining us. I hope that the audience can hear you clearly as well. But yes, I just wanted to gain your perspective. Like I said, it's, um, I mean, this is an issue that is happening a lot more and more to in our communities, in communities of people of color. But particularly for young African men, this has been a continuous issue. And you had a very personal first-hand experience with this do you mind sharing a little bit of that um with us yeah um so i grew up in a in housing commission estate in flemington um and there there was a lot of issues uh in the sense just to give you a bit of background you know roughly around three thousand four thousand people living in high-rise um accommodation uh one oval um and one basketball court where most of the young people just you know spent their time and so this this space kind of became, uh, you know, the initial public space and who has ownership of it and all that kind of stuff. And so this it kind of became a battleground between the local young people and the police, um, because you know African young people are so visible, and you know there's issues of you know people feeling not not pe- not feeling safe when they saw mm. groups of African young men together. Um, and also issues of racial profiling where, you know, if there was a, a crime that was committed by one young African male, literally the whole day everybody would be stopped and searched and harassed. Um, 
and questions, you know, sometimes several times a day. So that's just that's just a bit of background to what was happening at that time. Um, Yeah. And now that was a couple of years ago. That was. Um, and since then, there was a formal case against the Victorian police. I wish you were the um, lead uh, person in that case. Do you think some things have changed since then? What's your perspective on perhaps the things that are happening now? As we were talking about earlier, the recent incidents where the lady um, alluded to, described as her baby yeah. having been snatched by an African male. Do you think there has been some progress in that area. I think, I think on a higher level, there's been there's been significant progress mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, the leadership within Victoria Police is finally beginning to understand what unconscious bias is and what mm-hmm. racial profiling is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the issue is on a grassroots level where you've got you know superintendents and sergeants of police stations who still have you know similar attitudes and, and similar culture that, that hasn't evolved. Um, and they still haven't grasped the ideas of, you know, unconscious bias and racial profiling. Um, and so it's a challenge in, fact, in the sense that, you know, while the leadership is trying to create systemic change in, in an organization on a grassroots level, they haven't been able to kind of affect change. And so young people you know, across the state are experiencing racial profiling um, still can stay in their communities. Um, and then in the public perception sense, things have moved forward a bit, like the media is a bit becoming a, a bit more conscious of, um, you know, you know the, the racial bias that they kind of propagate. Yeah. Um, but still, you know, they're still reporting, they're still allowing, like, people to report on things based on race. Yeah. So instead of looking at the crime and describing someone, you know, they're still using African as a, as a descriptor. Mm-hmm. When you've got black Africans, we've got white Africans, you know, it, it can't be a physical descriptor. And that's a conversation that we're still trying to have with the media, but they still haven't kind of grasped it. Um, in, in regards to, like, the general public perception and what the people think of, you know, African communities, mm-hmm. yeah, we're still being used as, you know, African young males are still being used as scapegoats. Um, you know, whenever there's crime or whatever, yeah. you know, because and the media has a hand in this as well, because the way they report it, you know, if it's an African young person, then, you know, they mention the race. When it's a Caucasian person, you know, or a white person, you know, that race isn't mentioned. It's, you know, it's a person from Ballarat or if it's a person from yeah. wherever. <laughs> they, they, they use the location as a descriptor and they, yeah, so uh, there's still a lot of issues both the media and and police on the grassroots level. Absolutely. I'm glad you touched on that. And just to, before we close off, I just wanted to know, what are your thoughts on the implications? And I mean, the reason we wanted to talk with you is because you have had a personal experience with this and have had the courage, I guess, to take it farther, which a lot of people can't do and uh, don't do. But what do you feel the immediate implications are for young men such as yourself um, in what happens, I guess, through the media and in their local context, the racial... I guess guess the implications are that that people, you know, know, racial profiling just become, continues to become normalized. Um, You know, young people grow up in communities where, you know, they're scapegoated and, you know, they're 
their future, I guess, careers or whatever are kind of limited. Um, and it kind of isolates, you know, young people as well um, to, to, to kind of, you know, being really boxed into these stereotypes. Um, and it also allows, you know, there isn't, there isn't the same outrage um, when someone makes such an accusation about a whole community. You know, this, you know, for that lady to kind of say, yeah, it was an African young person who was middle-aged and nobody blinked that, you know, whether that was correct or, you know, checked the facts or anything mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. It kind of says a lot about how, how much society values, um, you know, or, or how it perceives African young men. Um, and so as we continue to do that, you know, we're basically, you know, creating um, a whole generation or we're setting up a whole generation for failure to be boxed into this stereotype of um, criminality. And, you know, I guess if we continue the way we're going, we're going we're gonna to be the biggest population in prison. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So that's the direction we're heading in. Um, and, you know, it's not going to be good for anybody, but, you know, it's, it's up to us to kind of try and create, try and challenge these, these stereotypes and these boxes, in, but it's also, there's also a lot of bigger stakeholders, oh. like our politicians and, and the media as well, um, who really need to step up and um, look at their values and, and try and create, you know, you know better reporting. Absolutely. Well, I guess part of what we're doing um, is talking about it and having more of a conversation. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us, Daniel. Um, thank you for your perspectives and your opinions on that. And no worries. My pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thanks for that. Talk sure. later. Great. So I hope you enjoyed that little insight. And that was Daniel Hale-Michael, who was the lead African in the racial profiling case in 2013 against the Victoria Police and we're talking today on Life in Colour on 90.7 FM about the colour of criminality. Yeah, and um, it's really sad to think about that because uh, if we're going to set that norm of how society looks at people, yeah, we're definitely going to raise up a generation that would also think the same. And if we continue to do that, then we're telling um, the colored people or these people that they don't stand a chance. Mm -hmm. Like, you're black, you're profiled as this one, no chance. Like, mm -hmm. you're going to hustle ten times better yeah. to prove everyone yeah. that you are going to be different. Mm. Well, we had someone message in from us and actually told us that uh, their dad was a... a police detective, a chief police detective, and actually admitted to having very racist attitudes and even went as far to make the comment that the reason Africa is so damaged and broken is because it's led by African black men. <laughs> and he was a chief detective here in Australia. Um, and he was, he had racist attitudes and he would do things that, um, I can't delve into all the details because yeah. they asked to be kept confidential. But, you know, thinking that, that is, that's a real example yeah. of something yeah. that's happened yeah. here. And I don't know if that was a long time ago or recently, but it's the fact that it still persists. Yeah, it's, um, it's a perception. 
and a perception isn't easily um, changed um, because you are raised mm. with that and um, so society is fitting you with that and mm. you just gain to absorb. Yeah. So uh, basically, our topic today is a bit heavy <laughs> and I really be emotional. It's like my heart can't take it anymore. So we're going to mm, chill a bit. So we're going to call this segment as Stupid Things White People Say. Finally, <laughs> we have this segment. So yeah, go Sherry. Uh, well, um, I guess it's sort of a thing that a lot of people of color experience, which is having stereotypes about them. And one thing that is common that people have said to me is about, I'm, by the way, for those of you who can't see me, I'm an black African female with an afro and um, I was in line in a I was in line um, and someone pushed in line in front of me and it was a it was a white male and I kind of just was like excuse me I was in line in front of you like you can't just cut in front and think that I'm not going to notice I'm just gonna (laughs) allow you to step in front of me and then Actually, someone was my friend kind of turned around and goes, oh, that was very sassy of you. You know, you're a bit of an angry black woman now, aren't you? And I was... <laughs> I was... Dumbstruck? Yeah, what? I didn't know what to say because part of me is like, you're my friend, but I really need to educate yeah. you about this because if it was anyone else, you would not have said yeah. that. They pushed in front of me. And it's not like I yelled at them. I was just yeah. like, excuse me, don't cut in line yeah, in front of me. What would they say if it was, you know, a white person that did that? They say, oh, like, you know, you're grumpy today. Yeah. Not yeah. you're, like, a, give a, a physical grumpy description. Woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're like a grumpy white. Allude white, to yeah. my yeah. background. Yeah. 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 Your it's like, you're always putting up a fight. They yeah. profiled you like, oh, you're going to put up a fight. Mm. Mm. Yeah, with me, I have this experience wherein um, there was this white dude who... Uh, knew that I was a Filipino. So for everyone who's listening, I am a a Filipino and I've been living here in Australia for two years. And this white guy here in Australia, he said, uh, oh, so you're a Filipino. So I said, yeah, I am a Filipino. And he said, oh, maybe you should marry me because I know Filipinos love white men. And I was like, "Uh, uh, 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 I just gotta go. Uh, I have a train to catch. Like, Okay. How about you, Leanne? Do you have experiences like that? Yeah, so many. Um, there was this one incident where I was at just a house party, and there was this um, we were just dancing because that's what you do at parties. And this German guy just came up to me and was just like, "Oh, you're really outgoing for an Asian woman." And I think he meant it like as a compliment. I think he was still, like trying to hit on me, but I just like didn't understand what that yeah. meant. Like, yeah. some people just so. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, how about you, Peruch? Uh, I I had someone at a party insist that I was Mexican, um, <laughs> much even though I like told them that I gave them a. a, a Who was just Sri Lankan, yeah, by yeah, the way? Yeah. I, I gave them like an at length, you know, description of my my ethnic background, um, and then they were just like, no, 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 you're you're definitely Mexican, you're definitely Mexican, and I was like, well, if, oh, if you wow. say so, like, but... oh. guess you would know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's interesting and sad. (laughs) But I had a really 
shocking experience. And this was in high school for me. I found this. I, w- I think I was just, I was, I had to take a moment after yeah. this one. Definitely. <laughs> um, I was a little bit sick. And I don't know why. If you ask my sister, she'll say that you're just always sick. I don't understand what's wrong with your immune system. Um, and basically, I had a inhaler. You know those yeah. nasal inhalers just to like clear your nostrils. Mm. And I asked the teacher I just to step out of class because my nose was like yeah. running and stuff, and I needed tissues and I needed to yeah. just take a whiff of this to kind of clear my sinus area. So I stepped out and I went out to the locker area, and I pulled the inhaler thing out of my bag and gave a little sniff and some random student that I still don't know who it does walks by and goes oh oh my goodness I thought you were taking drugs for a moment (laughs) (laughs) and in my mind and I turned around I was like I'm not and that's not funny (laughs) but such a bizarre then it just took me a moment to think that like how is it that you came to that, that conclusion, conclusion yeah. so quickly like straight away yeah I and did. mind you i was like one of the school captains yeah, yeah. so no yeah. it's no just, one like steps out class briefly for five seconds for like <laughs> just to take drugs yeah. <laughs> no oh. and, <laughs> I didn't but know. what bothered me was what bothered me and that's i think that was in high school and since then i've become a lot more um aware of yeah. what uh, racial stereotypes mm. are yeah. and um, race and all of that and yeah it just it took me a moment to to wonder to I was really confused as to how why he came straight to that c- conclusion and yeah. it was because that was an impression that he had of people who look like me African black you know that oh they're druggies or drunkards and yeah, or I, I, I had like a, a very similar experience in high school where whenever I was in a good mood and like a bit more you know playful or like exuberant than usual people would say oh like are you stoned are you stoned and like I was just like no like, I'm just in a good mood like, why do <laughs> I, I have, have to a be a friend who has that exact same he's just a very relaxed person mm. and people are always like oh are you high yeah. or and it's like no it's my personality. he's just yeah. a calm yeah. person he doesn't you know need to. he doesn't yeah. he's, just, yeah. he's just a he has a calm nature that's mm. That's it. There's nothing, and it's really offensive. Yeah, you know, for someone to say that because you don't see like white people getting it. Like, yeah, you, you, they just be, oh, you're just yeah. quiet or shy. Oh, or you're yeah. in a good mood, um, you're or just, you're in a bad mood. You're thoughtful. Like, no, yeah. are you high? That's a really yeah. And to be always get that thing where they ask you, why do you have that good English? And I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, we read books too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literacy is a thing for us as well. Yeah, I think almost some people. I think I definitely had that experience a lot in high school and in primary school because I was never, you know, there are ESL classes because, yeah. you know, and I was never say in the ESL class. In fact, the complete opposite. I was doing mm-hmm. advanced English, mm-hmm. and every time, like every time there was like a substitute teacher or someone who wasn't like regular at the school or even when I would go down to the front desk sometimes and you know I'm talking oh my gosh you have such good Good English English. and it's like well I was a finalist in the Victorian plain English speaking competition (laughs) you'd hope so (laughs) but I think it's a thing that a lot of people get and it's it's just that this this idea you look different uh, yeah. you don't fit what an intelligent person is <laughs> that's yeah. wrong yeah. what was even more interesting for those people who were kind of accepting of the fact that I was brown and spoke good English mm. it was like oh so are you American yeah like, mm, no 
I'm not American. <laughs> and it, literally, there was a point I had to explain You don't to even this have lady. an American yeah. accent at all. No, I was talking no. to this lady on Some the train, and we'd definitely. been talking, and she goes, oh my gosh, you know, you have such good English. I was like, well, yeah, I've grown up here. Oh, yeah. are you American? I'm like, no, no, no I, just I just told you. I grew up here. So yeah, we would just like to thank um, Parush for being here with us. Mm -hmm. And we'd also like to say thank you to Daniel, who joined us earlier for participating in our discussion today. So we hope you enjoyed our show today, and we hope that um, you also thought that it was a criminally, <laughs> criminally, <laughs> good, show. criminally good show. Yeah. <laughs> I was ordered to say that. So. <laughs> By someone. <laughs> I'm just not going to tell the name. <laughs> but yeah, join us again next week, 1 p.m. Saturday, Serum Life in Color, here with um, me, Nicole, Leanne, Sherry, and Anissa.